2 Kings chapter 8. I want to share with you very briefly tonight a story that is very simple, but I pray that it is super encouraging, um, and, and hopefully it will be. And if it's something you haven't known, maybe it'll be new and encouraging. If some, something you have known, hopefully it will remind you, and you'll be encouraged. And you can walk out of here going, oh yes, this is something that's true. So 2 Kings chapter 8, but you kind of have to picture yourself before we get into the story. Wonder, I wonder if you've ever been in a position where you have um, walked into a room and you are certain that they have been talking about you. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, yeah, everybody's like, oh yeah, that's every day. What are you talking about? It's every day, right? When you walk into a room, you're like, wait a minute. And everybody is either dead quiet or everybody starts laughing, you know, or everybody just gets up and leaves. You know, you know, okay, wait a minute. I, I'm the issue here. Like, I'm the thing. Now, I'm not going to fill you in with the full story, but I had one of those things happen so dramatically to me when I was about 19, 20 years old. Um, I was a student at George Fox University, a great school uh, up north. A lot of children now are going to GCU, Biola, um, you know, Corbin. I'm, I'm not sure why, but anyway. George Fox is still the best, and it's up north. I was a student, and part of my student duties that evening, it was a snowy night, and a few of my friends and I decided to climb up on, on one of the roofs on campus there at George Fox, and we were just throwing snowballs off and all this kind of stuff, just having a good time, not harming anything really. Um, and I decided as we left, they were going to go down these back little stairway that got, that led to the roof. And I decided, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down the fire escape because I'm from Grants Pass and I've never seen a fire escape except for the one on the tall building downtown, you know, and I couldn't figure out how to get on that one when I was a kid. So I thought, man, this is cool. This building has an old school metal fire escape. I want to jump down onto that and go down that way. So I was standing on top of this building. It's called Woodmar Hall up there. It used to be a lot older. They've redone it now. It's brick. And about, oh, I don't know, 10, 12 feet down was the landing of this. And I had to jump down to that landing before I could crawl down the rest of the ladder. So I was wearing, reasonably, snow boots and cut off sweats uh, and... <laughs> you know, three or four flannels, and, and I remember a giant Russian-style fluffy hat. You know what I mean? And it was, you know, it was probably 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. I don't know. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to go against the building and push off and jump down and land on this landing, which is precisely what I did. And when I landed, I landed and I was looking right into a bank of windows that's right there where the landing is in this old, you know, epic building, Woodmar Hall. And when I looked in the windows, there was a really large oak table. And seating around, sitting around it were maybe 12 to 15 people. And those people were the board of George Fox University. <laughs> so it was the president, Ed Stevens, who is a great man, he's now in heaven. It was the president, it was the vice president, it was the dean of students, Dirk, it was the housing director, Sean, all these people all around this thing. And I landed, clang. And I just looked right through this and they looked at me as if they weren't surprised. <laughs> they really, they just looked over. And the, the, uh, the president is sitting, it couldn't have been set up anymore. The Lord, I know before this happened, the Lord, I don't know how it all works in heaven, 
But I know the Lord was just like, hey guys, check this, check this out. <laughs> Look what's about to happen. Look at the way I set this up. Anyway, he was sitting to where he was at the end of the table and he could see me directly. And next to him was a guy that I knew really well. He was one of the housing directors there and real involved in student life. And I landed on this thing and I looked right over at them and they looked at me and the president goes muffled because I could hear it through the glass. He says, Mr. Hamilton, come on in. Just like that. And I'm, I'm standing there and I'm outside of these old fashioned windows, you know, the kind that you, that you push up, you know, and that come up about that much halfway. And so I was like, I'm, you know, I'm standing on a, on a fire escape. It's maybe two feet by five feet. You know, I'm like, you know, he's like, yeah, come on in. And I'm like, do I go through the window? You know, and, they, and they're, they're all looking at each other like, yeah, come on in, come through the window. So I, um, while they're all sitting there, I open the window and, you know, do one of these and I crawl in. And again, I'm not dressed for a board meeting by any stretch of the imagination. And I just, it was the weirdest thing because they're not, they're not shocked. They're not mad. They're not worried. They're, they're nothing. They're just, oh yeah, come on in. What? And so I walk in and I kind of stand there, you know, thinking, I don't know what I'm going to tell my dad. I mean, how'd you get kicked out? Well, it's weird. I, you know, I... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Strangely enough, um, so they said, uh, this Dr. Stevens says, he says, Mr. Hamilton, we were just talking about you. <laughs> it's literally what he says to me. And I said, uh, what, what? And I was thinking like you are right now. No, they weren't. Like they weren't actually talking about me. And he goes, yeah. And he has this legal pad and he pushes it over to, he says, come here. And he pushes it over to the side of the table. So I walk around all these people, excuse me, sir, hello, ma'am. And I get all the way over to, to this legal pad and number three or four down the list of this bullet point list that he's written in pen, it says, Matt Hamilton. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. And he proceeded to tell me the reason why. I can't, I'm not gonna waste all the time tonight. It's an amazing story from their behalf. It was, I had just met the Lord recently, and I was still jumping off buildings and things like that on campus. And they wanted me to do some things uh, with student life, as far as the Lord goes, and some Bible studies and responsibilities, but I couldn't do it. That was the debate. They're like, he's in too much trouble constantly, so we can't let him do it. So that was what they were debating. And basically, I sealed the deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, hey, <laughs> right in the middle of their meeting. So, um, Anyway, an amazing group of men and women there who blessed me and my wife like immensely. So enough to say it was an interesting experience. But if you've ever had that experience, maybe not that exact one, but one like it, then you're a lot like this character in 2 Kings chapter 8, and you're a lot like you and I should feel pretty much every day in our relationship with God and in our conversation with God. So in 2 Kings chapter 8, it's the follow-up of something that happened four chapters earlier. And we won't talk about it because it's a long, wonderful story. But the short version is that there's a woman who has no son and she has an older husband. That's just classic opportunity for God to work, right? This woman has no son and her husband is very old. She is very kind to Elisha the prophet. And because of that, Elisha promises her, you will have a son. The woman gives birth to a son, and then as the son is old enough to be out working with his father in the fields, her son dies. And she then 
gets on a donkey, rides as fast as she could in 2 Kings chapter 4, finds Elisha the prophet, and begs him to come back to her home. And it's a beautiful story of how Elisha is a representative of Jesus. He stretches himself out, the Bible says. He puts his hands on his hands, his face on his face, and he, he basically mimics, mirrors the child, lays down on him. And the child becomes warm again. And then the child receives life again. And the kid is literally, by Elisha the prophet, raised from the dead. It's an incredible story, and it's a really neat picture example of what Jesus did for us, right? That he hasn't just gone, yeah, I'll just throw you guys a bone. He actually came to the earth and said, okay, I'm like you. I'm, I'm seeing the things you're seeing. I'm feeling the things you're feeling. I'm touching what you're touching. I've done everything on your behalf and I'm victorious. I'm, I've matched up with you as a human. It's a really neat, neat story, but that's not the story we're going to talk about. So in 2 Kings chapter 8, Four more chapters and many years have gone by, but there's another story that involves this same woman who had been given a son and he had been raised to life. So 2 Kings chapter 8 says this. It says, Then spoke Elisha, same prophet, unto the woman whose son he had restored to life. This same woman, they call her the Shunammite, by the way. She's from Shunam. So she's a Shunammite. She's a Shunammite. I can, that's a tough one to say. She's a Shunammite. He says, arise and go, you and your house, and go wherever you can. In other words, get out of here. For the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land for seven years. Woman, I care for you. I care for your son, your whole family. Get out of here. A famine's coming. Big time trouble. And so it says there, that the woman arose and she did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and she went to the land of the Philistines for seven years. And then at the end of seven years, the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and she came to the king for her house and for her land to cry out. In other words, Elisha the prophet says, listen, lady, the Lord has told me there's gonna be a huge famine. You need to get out of here. Take your whole household out of here. Get out of this land. You can't survive here for seven years. Get out. She does. Then she comes back and it says that she cries out to the king for her land. Why? Because it was left barren. In other words, she comes back to the king and there would have been great loss. We don't know what the loss would have been. Either someone would have been camping out on the land. I mean, somebody might've just been, you know, stuck on the land, put their flag in and go, now this is my property now. Or... It could have been that the land, her husband had a lot of crops, we learned in four chapters ago, that the land was fruitful, the land was you know, producing, and now seven years later, it's dry as a bone. And they've lost all that time, they've lost all that fruit, they've lost everything. So she's coming back to the king to cry for her land. In other words, to say, hey, I gotta, I gotta get my land back. Like, I, I've got huge loss. Now, you and I, regardless of our situation tonight, have been touched by, blessed by the Lord. There is no doubt about it. Whether we admit it, (laughs) whether we can sing it as those songs said or not, we have been. But guaranteed that every single one of us has also had loss. It might be financial. It definitely could be and is spiritual or 
emotional, relational with other people. Certainly for all of us, there is some way that you and I have experienced loss, just like this woman has. And it may have nothing to do with your walk with God. You might have been pure as, as the you know, driven snow, just like, uh, well, I almost said his name, but I won't embarrass his parents. Um, just like the young man said to me on the way out, are they good? You know, are, those, are those old people good? You might be one of the good ones, but you still had loss. You might be one of the bad ones, which that's the way the kids in the kids wing. There's good guys, there's bad guys, right? There's Pharaoh, there's Moses. That's how plain it is to our kids in the kids wing. They're good, bad. That's all there is to it, right? We'll pray for Moses. We'll hope he makes it, or pray for Pharaoh. We'll hope he makes it to heaven. You know what I mean? And the rest was like, no, he's not gonna make it. He's a bad guy. But anyway, you have experienced loss. I have experienced loss. And there's different ways that that happens, certainly. Sometimes loss comes to us immediately. And sometimes it's caused by ourselves. And sometimes it's not. But there may be some of us in here tonight who have experienced in years past or even today or even in past weeks or months some loss that is significant that happened right now, all of a sudden, out of the blue. And it's a significant loss. It happens in different ways. I, I, was, I experienced one of those years ago when I was playing basketball. Um, I thought it was kind of a big shot, quite frankly. And uh, I played on the Grants Pass High School basketball team. As you know, the best basketball team in the land. So uh, this is in the late 80s. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and we got invited to go to Australia for some crazy reason and travel around and play basketball against all these teams from all over the world. And in the middle of this, we went to a tournament and we were feeling pretty cool because we hadn't yet played any games over there. So we went to Sydney, Australia, and we showed up at this huge stadium and we went to a tournament that was filled with teams from all over the place. And I was Grant's Pass that year. I was the big man at Grant's Pass, all six foot, three inches of me. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty big for 1988 in Grants Pass, right? So I walked out, I'm the big man, and I walk out mid-floor and there's a big ceremony. It's the American team versus the Canadians. Not just a high school group of Canadians, not just some random Canadians, but the Olympic Canadian basketball team, which we didn't know until just then. We're playing Canada. Oh, that's fine. They're playing the United States. We walk out. We're like, wow, those uniforms are impressive. Wow, that guy is six foot ten. <laughs> Hamilton, you're guarding that guy. So I go out to the midcourt, and there's this guy walks out to me, and I just looked him up online because I couldn't remember his name. It's, it's Raoul Raffin. That's this guy's name. He played on the Canadian Olympic team in 77 or 76, 80, and 88. And we're playing them in the summer of 88, before the 88 Olympics. So this is one of their warm-up games, the Grants Pass Varsity, cavemen. <laughs> so we walk out there, and we walk out there, and I give him a pin, you know, United States flag, and he gives me a Canadian pin we're supposed to exchange. Here you go, here you go. And I reach out, and I go to shake his hand like my coach told me I had to, and I'm doing this. <laughs> like literally, he's 6'10", He's renowned. I didn't know that. If you look him up, 
They're like, oh yeah, this is one of the greatest international basketball players ever. You know, yeah, yeah, great guy, all this stuff. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so I stick out my hand. He kind of grabs my hand and then just kind of pushes it away. And then he goes like this, in the middle of the stadium, middle of the floor, all the ceremony going on. And he goes, ah, ha, 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 ha. And I, I'm standing there. And I don't know what we lost by because somewhere around 50, 60, 70 points, we just kind of blacked out. But it was immediate. We didn't know we had a problem. And then we're just, bam, oh my goodness. Like we lost, like we are embarrassed. We don't know what basketball is. I mean, that's how much it felt. Like we went into the locker room just going, what happened? You know, I've been playing basketball since preschool and I didn't realize I don't know how to play. That was the feeling. And you may have had in a serious way that happen. I've been married this long or I've been in business this long or I've thought this way about my relationship with God this long or whatever it is. And suddenly, like immediately, there's loss. And you just feel like, well, I I just lost by 70 points right now. But some of you experience slow loss, like I experience in our garage. Now, our garage has a refrigerator in it. And I have a problem. I'll admit it to you guys. My water bottle right here, which you'll see me carrying around often around the church, it's not filled with water. Now, it's not that bad of a problem. But (laughs) you're all thinking, you're like, wow, this is going to be heavy. It's filled with Diet Pepsi. And I'll admit to you that since I was about 12, 13 years old, I have a problem with Diet Pepsi. I really love Diet Pepsi. Now you might think that's disgusting. You're right, but I have a problem with it. I love Diet Pepsi. Now my wife will go on these, you know, I'll go a long time without, and then my wife will buy it. It's amazing. And she'll take a little case of it, you know, 24 of them. And she'll take our refrigerator that's in the garage and just put them all in there in cans. And it's like, whoa, we're loaded. I'm like, this is amazing. The land of plenty, you know, it's, it's great. And so every day I'll go out, get one, right? And time goes by like that. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm losing, but I don't know it, right? I'm losing over time. And every once in a while I'll get worried. I'll look in, I'm like, oh, I think there's only about 10 left. Oh, that might last me only a day or two. Okay. I'm, you know, I might think that way. And then later that week I go in, it's the last one. Sometimes loss is like that, you know, where you're like, what? I think I've been losing. I think something's been changing over time, but now I discover the fridge is empty, if you will. Now I discover actually I am right. It is true. Whatever kind of loss you might experience, physical, inside, emotional, spiritual we can identify that's kind of what's going on with this woman. She's gone away, she's come back, and the land that she had that was fruitful is now barren. So she's gonna walk into the king and say, can you give me a hand with this? And this is what happens right here. It says there that, it said it came to pass, verse three of chapter eight, at the end of these seven years, she returned And she went forth to cry out to the king for her house and for her land. And it says in verse four, and this is remarkable. It says that the king was speaking with Gehazi. Gehazi is the servant of Elisha, the prophet. Remember the Elisha that raised the kid from the dead? Gehazi is his servant. 
And it says that the king is there on his throne and he's speaking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, Elisha. And the king is saying this, tell me, I ask you, talk to me about all the great things that Elisha the prophet has done. King is on his throne. And as the woman comes into the throne room, he's saying to Gehazi, the prophet's servant, hey, just talk to me about everything great Elisha has done. I love these stories. Let's talk about this. Just tell me about all the great stuff that Elisha has accomplished. Then it says, and, the, and it came to pass as he was telling the king, verse five, Gehazi is telling the king how Elisha had restored a dead body back to life. The story we were just talking about. As he's telling the king, hey, Elisha, raised this kid back to life, that behold, the woman, who, the one whose son, whose son had been restored to life, walked in and cried out to the king for her house and for her land. So the woman walks into the room. And as she walks in, much like me in the George Fox board meeting, as she walks into the room, the king is telling Gehazi, the prophet's servant, the prophet's not there, but he's telling him, hey, talk to me about all the cool stuff Elisha's done. Just lay it on me. So Elisha's like, you're not gonna believe this. But a couple years ago, here's how this went down. And he raised this kid up from the dead. And he's telling him that story. And as he's telling him the story, the kid's mom walks in to the throne room. Pretty cool, right? So it says then, next, it says, and Gehazi, when she walked in and cried out to the king for her land, Gehazi said, he said, behold, my Lord, the king, this is the woman that I was just telling you about. And this is her son, this guy that's with her right here in the throne room. This is the woman, this is her son that the prophet brought back to life. So when the king asked the woman if these things were so, she said, yes. Hey, is this true? This, th this story I just heard about him raising you, boy, from the dead? Woman, is this right? She's like, yeah, story's true. And then the king just says this. It says that the king appointed an officer there in the courtroom, and he said, restore everything that was hers. Give her all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. In other words, don't just give her her land. Don't just give her back her land and say, hey, you can have your land. If there's anybody on it, we'll kick them off. We're gonna fence it. It's yours. And from this day forward, you're blessed with it. He says, even when you weren't there, even when it was drying up, even when you weren't tending to your land, I'm gonna restore to you everything. Give her everything from now on and go back seven years and figure out somehow, calculate everything that it could have produced and give her all of that money, if you will, as well. Probably not all the fruit. I don't know what she would have done with it. All the cash, if you will. Give her everything back that she had lost. That's an amazing thing, right? The woman walks in in that perfect time. Now, the Bible tells us, as you well know, that the Old Testament stories, 1 Corinthians tells us, these stories happen to these people for real. These are real people. These are real stories. These are real things. But it says that it happened to them 
for their sake and for this woman's sake, but that it happened as a picture for us, as a portrait for us of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, the living word. They're all pictures. We can take them, as you know, and we can go, well, this looks like Jesus. This looks like an example of how God works. And this story is miraculous with that. You see, the Bible says that right now in heaven, the book of Romans chapter eight, verse 26 says that right now you and I have no idea how to ask for what we've lost. You and I do not know what to pray for. Romans chapter eight says, but the Holy Spirit does what? He intercedes, he grunts and he groans, he talks to the father. And he, he goes before us. He comes with us and he says, here's the way this is working. We know that from Romans chapter eight. But we also know from John chapter 16 that whenever the Holy Spirit speaks, that he only speaks about and for one person. And that is the Savior, the Son of God, the prophet, our prophet, Jesus Christ. So in truth, if we believe what the Bible says, and I do, then right now, the Holy Spirit is before the throne of God, talking to God on our behalf. And as he's talking on our behalf, he's not trying to convince God about how great you are. (laughs) He's not answering the question that the young man in the three-year-old room asked. Is he good? Hey, hey, check out Matt down there. He's trying to talk to the church. Is he good? And the Holy Spirit's not, not like, well, um, sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it's a little troubling. It's kind of complicated. He's not trying to convince God on the throne, the king, like the king that was in the courtroom or in his throne room back in our story. He's not convincing the king. Yeah, they're, they're good. He's talking to the king just like back in there about one person. And that is who? Jesus. The Holy Spirit is talking to God the Father. The Bible declares he is constantly interceding and he is talking to the Father about you. But he's not talking about what you did. He's talking about what the prophet Jesus did. He's not saying, well, you're not gonna believe this. The faith that this Shunammite woman had, woo! Boy, it was amazing. You're not gonna believe this. This young kid, he died and you should have seen what this young kid did when the prophet said, stand up. He just stood up. Can you believe how great this young kid is? It's not what he said, is it? He's like, you're not gonna believe what Elisha did. He raised a dead body up to life. Exactly what he's done for you. Exactly what he's done for me. And that is what the Holy Spirit is talking about on your behalf. When you picture your father in heaven, however you might picture him, and however you might see the throne room, I have an image in my head, but I know it's gonna be wrong. It's gonna be better than I think, certainly. But I've got an image in my head, and you do too, probably. But however you picture it, you picture him going, let's see, all right, yeah. So go ahead, talk to me about what what they're doing. And it makes me a little bit freaked out. Because I've had loss and I've caused loss like you. And I go, uh, how am I even gonna go in and talk to God? I don't even know what I've lost. I've gotten so messed up, I'm not even sure what I've lost anymore. So how am I gonna talk to him about 
what I need because I actually don't even know what I need. And if I did know what I need, I'm embarrassed to talk to him about it because after all, it's me and I'm the one that lost it. And that's kind of how we think. But in reality, here's what's going on in heaven is that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and I. And he is talking to the Father and he is saying, the prophet, the savior that you sent, your son, Jesus, the Christ, raised this guy named Matt from the dead. That's what he did. He raised him from the dead. He's no longer dead. He, he died on his behalf. He rose. And this guy, Matt, has said, yep, I believe it. And if you look at anything in his life, Father God, you're going to freak out because it's really bad. But if you look at what the prophet did for him, that's what I'm talking about. Look what he did for him. Meanwhile, I'm wandering around in my life just like you are. And I'm like, okay. And I finally get to the point where I'm like, I just have to, I got to talk to God. I've lost stuff. And as I come into the courtroom, I walk into this conversation, the throne room rather, not the courtroom. I I come into this conversation. You're like, boy, you are bad. You talk about courtrooms a lot. Um, (laughs) I walk into this conversation. I walk in And if you follow the picture of this story, then that spirit of God, I walk in, I'm like, "Uh, Father, I'm here. And the Holy Spirit goes, that's him. That's the guy that I was just talking to you about. That's him. And God the Father, if we follow this story, looks at you and he looks at me like he did in this story. And he says to the Shunammite woman, the same thing he says to me, is that true? Is that true? Did that happen to you? Did, did the prophet, did Jesus, in our case, raise you from the dead? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Restore all of it. And by the way, restore the stuff that he couldn't even work on that he doesn't even know he lost. And build him up in ways that he doesn't even know he needs built up. But the question is, do you go in? And do I go in? And frankly, if I think about it the other way, I don't. If I think, man, I gotta ask God about some things, but... I better get some stuff straightened out first. Then it's gonna be trouble for me and for you. But this woman comes back to a barren land and just walks in and says, I need help. I I gotta have help now. And she walks in to a throne room, which is pretty amazing too, because she just waltzes in. She walks into the throne room just like you and I can. And she walks into a conversation about her, but it is not about what she's done. We don't know anything of her qualities at all. We just know how great Elisha was in her life. That's all we know. That's the only thing that we have to go on. And she is hugely blessed for chapters of scripture, which is incredible. And so are you and so am I. So I I don't think I'm probably getting, I'm pretty sure the canon of scripture is done. You can ask Heverly about that. He's smart. I don't think I'm gonna get any Bible stories, right? (laughs) I don't think there's going to be like a revelation too, where somebody tells my story or something like that. But I want to do what this woman does. I want to live biblically. And I just want to go into the throne room. And that's what I'm doing now in my life. Just going, I'm coming in. And the only reason I'm here is because I know that the Holy Spirit's talking to the father, the king about it before I walk in. And I know when I walk in, they're talking about me. And I know they're not talking about what I just did or the needs I have. I know they're talking about what the prophet did on my behalf. And the only question that that king has for me is the same one that happened here. Hey, is that true? 
Is this, is this thing that Jesus did in you, is that real? Absolutely, great, let's start working on it. I'm gonna start appointing all this stuff in your life, things that you don't know how to fix, things that you don't know how to do. Now, that may sound really simple, and it is, uh, but what do you expect? I'm the children's pastor here, so. Uh, but it's super important. It's crazy important. Now, the Bible says, finally, that when we come in, we're better off than this Shunammite woman because the story isn't a perfect picture of heaven, certainly. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is interceding as we communicate with the king. But the Bible also said that there's someone else sitting there at the right hand of the Father. And who's that? It's Jesus himself. And our story is far grander than this lady's because Jesus himself is sitting at God's right hand and the Holy Spirit's like, look at everything that Jesus did. This is an incredible story. There's this guy, Matt Hamilton. He's a fool. He's an idiot. He did all this stuff. This is what he did. And check out what Jesus did, what the prophet did. He raised him from the dead. This is an incredible story. God, can you believe this? Look at how this works. I walk in, I'm like, hey, I kind of need some help. The Holy Spirit goes, that's him. And the father looks at the son. Jesus is like, yeah, that's my guy. They look at me, is this your guy? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's my guy right there. That, that's the, and, and all of a sudden, walk out, okay, I'm restored. The Lord begins to do all of that stuff. Now, I don't know how God does that in your life or mine. I, I'm, I'm being restored along the way, as you are. But the beauty of that is, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is our high priest, that he intercedes between us and the Father. And it says that he doesn't do it once. He died once for all our sin, which hopefully you believe right here, right now. And you've accepted and you've received him. And if you haven't and you, and you need that and you want to know more about it, then flag me down afterwards. Talk to Mark right here in the blue shirt. Talk to Josh back there. Talk to John Micah you saw up here. Um, find somebody that, that you think you know, can talk to you about it. But if you have received him, if he has raised you from the dead, if you think, yeah, that's happened, then here's the thing. It also says in Hebrews that as that high priest, he made that offering one time, but it's a continual offering. That it's a continual offering. You're not fixed and then restored. Oh, okay, I'm great. And now it's 30 years later and you're like, uh... I think I'm behaving worse than I did 30 years ago. And now I'm doomed. The Bible says it's a continual intercession and offering that Jesus, it says there in Hebrews, always lives to intercede for you and I every single day and every single hour. So I just wanna encourage you tonight, at home, maybe here, tomorrow morning on your own, go go to the throne room, just go. Just walk in. Uh, It's not here in town somewhere. I don't mean physically, but I mean just hit your knees, sit in your car quietly, find a spot, sit here in a chair when the service is done. Um, If you look like you're praying, I promise people will leave you alone for a while, then they'll clean up the chairs. But, um, But just go talk to him and go with that attitude. God, I'm coming in. You're talking about me anyway. And you're not talking about my failures. You're talking about Jesus's success in my life. And if I just acknowledge his success in my life, that's where we start restoration. So Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much, God, for what it 
hook for you to get us into the throne room, to make us holy through your son, Jesus, to, um, to take away all of our sin and to cleanse us. And the fact that we can speak to you at this moment and that you're hearing us is proof that your sacrifice, Jesus, worked. And we're thankful for it. But I pray for this group here tonight, everybody sitting in this room, that we would just come and talk to you and hear from you that we are restored, that you are working in our lives to bring about the things that you want to make us whole in. So Lord, we come, we know that you're speaking about your son Jesus in our lives and his victory, not our failures. So even right now, as we pray for one another and as we consider these things, we know we have success. We know we got victory. We know like that Shunammite woman, we're gonna have the land back. It will be fruitful. So we trust you for it, God. I just pray for these folks. You'd bless them, all their kids that are heading home with them, their families tonight. Jesus, may we come out here with a light heart knowing you're on our side, God, and you're for us and you love us. So thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a great night.